Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Very excited to be introducing you to uh, Nehana this morning. Um, I met Nehana through uh, my work with Parachute. So uh, for the outside of church, I work with Parachute Music. And um, over the last year or so, we've formed a bit of a relationship with the Oati Trust, um, who really is an incredible organization uh, that works and, and sort of moves alongside other organizations that are looking to go on some sort of bicultural journey, looking to understand the, the Māori worldview a little bit and looking at different ways that they can begin to incorporate it into their practice and, and cultural ethos. And so it really is, a, it really is a, a really special organization and a really important one for our current cultural moment. And it's been really exciting at Parachute. We're working on a Waiata project, a, a, a really cool worship album um, that's going to be coming up in the next few months. So I'm going to be seeing a little bit more of now around the place. Um, but really this morning, I just feel really privileged that we get to have him uh, in our church context um, and just sharing with us really as the beginning of Maori Language Week as well. So Nehana, why don't you come up, man, and, and I'd love to pray for you. And uh, yes, and uh, I'll leave it with you. So Father, we want to thank you for Nehana, uh, for the work that he is doing with Awati and for the things that you are beginning to, to stir, not just in his life, um, but in the work of the organization and in, the, and in our nation as well, that you are taking us all on a journey that, that ultimately brings us closer to you um, and closer to the things of your kingdom. So we want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to be with Nehana this morning, for the story that he has to bring. Um, Lord, would you open all of our hearts and would you do a good work in us this morning, I pray. Amen. O te rā mō tēnei wiki, te wiki, o te reo Māori, te reo Māori e karanga atu nei, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā ratātou, katoa. Kia ora everyone, and yes, I do speak English. Don't worry. <laughs> My name is Nehana Rehana. Thank you for the introduction, bro. I should sit down and let you carry on. <laughs> My name is Nehana, and it is a privilege to be able to speak this morning, especially at the beginning of this week. Te wiki o te reo Māori. Uh, my whanau are here, they're through that window over there. Uh, you would have seen this little baby girl with black hair. I was told that she looked like the baby from Monsters, Inc. Because <laughs> of her little floaty hair. And my wife, Eleanor, is through the window there. She said to me, man, babe, they've got a crash over there and I can see through the window. Our church needs that. <laughs> so, get a babe. Um, so my whanau are here and at the beginning of this year, on the 4th of January, we welcomed a new taonga into our whānau. We welcomed a baby girl, and her name is Fakaria Hope. Fakaria means to reveal. We'll see a picture up. There we go. Fakaria means to reveal. Some of you might know the waiata Fakaria Mai. Um, and the reason why we gave Fakaria her name was because of a dream I had. Uh, I had a dream of a baby. And the baby was crawling towards me and she was wearing pink. So I woke up the next morning and I turned to my wife and I said, are you pregnant? <laughs> By the way, men never say that to women. So I turned to her and I said, are you hapu? 
And she said, not that I know of. And uh, a month later, she got pregnant. And when we turned up at the radiologist for the 12-week scan, uh, the lady had asked me, so dad, what do you think the gender is going to be? And I said, it's going to be a girl. And she said, why do you think it's going to be a girl? And I said, because I've seen her before. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she thought that there was some kind of sick joke. <laughs> but when Fakaria was born on the 4th of January, she came out a girl. And so that's why we gave her her name. I think just every time I look at the photo, I'm just, I just feel overwhelmed with God's goodness. Um, God has been so good to me and my whanau. Eight years ago, I gave my heart to the Lord, and it wasn't always like this. Uh, so every time I look back to my whanau, I it does just remind me of God's goodness. When I was, when I was sitting there before, and as uh, Calvin was sharing, I was just asking the waitua tapu, waitua tapu, what's something that you want to speak this morning? Is there, is there a word that someone needs to hear this morning? And all I heard was, be still and know that I am God. And I said, who is this for, Lord? And it was a couple. And so I, I don't know which couple it is in this room, but I need to say to you, as the outside world is falling and as things aren't going well in your life, I just want to encourage you and know God is in the midst of the chaos to be still and know that I am God. So as Calvin had shared before, I do work for a small trust called Oati. And the work that I do for Oati is incredibly rewarding. We do work, work alongside organizations to help them understand more of Te Ao Māori. And I'll share more about, about that. And that's where um, Kiri-Ann and I, we work together at Parenting Place. Uh, but I'll share more of that later on in my all. So today, I want to share my testimony. Uh, for eight years, like I said, I've been walking with Christ. So in this testimony, I want to share what my life was like before Christ, how I met Christ, and then what life was like after meeting Christ. And if there's one particular sentence that I want you to leave this place with, is this. You will not lose who you are following Christ. You will understand who you are following Christ. When I moved up to Tamaki Makoto in 2010, uh, I came up from Purirua, because I, I grew up in Purirua. But when I was three years old, my father, my biological father, left my mum and I. So my mum played the role of mum and dad for a significant part of my life. She was a provider during the day, and she was a protector at night. But it wasn't until I was nine years old where my, my stepfather walked into my life. His name is James Rehana. There you go. So that's my mum. Her name is Rondell. That's my sister, Kataraina. And that's my dad, uh, James Rehana. And that's me and my turtleneck shirt. And so when I was nine, they came into our life, my stepsister and my stepfather. And he became my new dad. Um, I don't even like the term stepdad because he actually stepped up when I needed a father. Um, but at the time, I 
lacked male role models, so mum and dad sent me to a Māori boarding school for five years. <laughs> and when I was at the boarding school, it was, it was Hotapalda College, a Māori boys boarding school in Friendly Fielding. Has anyone been to Fielding? Whoa, wow. <laughs> Friendly Fielding is close to Palmerston North. And for 13 years running, it's been gifted the award of the friendliest town in Aotearoa. So that's where I went to high school for five years, and that's where I was ingrained into Reo Māori, me ona tikanga. Uh, I went to a Pākehā primary school. I went to a Pākehā intermediate. However, this was the first time that I was bombarded with Te Reo Māori and Waiata Māori. But while I was there, I didn't develop fluency. However, I could understand bits and pieces. But it's significant for the story later on. But as I moved up to Tamaki Makoto, I came up here and I went to uni at AUT. There's, did anyone go to AUT? Yay! I used to get such a hard time from my mates at Auckland Uni saying, you don't go to a real university. So I ended up going to AUT and Auckland Uni. <coughs> so I ended up studying business and I also majored in what every business uh, student does, marketing and management. And I stuck at it and ended up graduating in 2012. However, I moved up into a hostel in Mount Eden on 10 Lovelock Ave. Yeah. And so in 2010, it was this beautiful Christian hostel. I used to get drunk. Definitely used to get drunk outside of hostel, but I used to come in and worship songs. And what was beautiful was that there was a couple that used to look after the hostel. And every Wednesday night, we used to have this thing called Soul Revival. And we had to sit in the circle, and we all had to sing these beautiful worship songs. And what was cool was that a lot of the students from XL Performing Arts School, they all were in the hostel too. So it was like sitting in the midst of this intense choir. But I, I was the sore thumb because I was a business student and everyone else could sing. And so here I am listening to this beautiful waiata for, for the first time every Wednesday night. Um, and I loved it. But towards the end of 2012, there was the director of um, the Māori Mission. And his name was Terence Wallace. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie In the Zone. But this man, Terence Wallace, felt the call from God to come over from Chicago to birth something in Aotearoa. And so this guy moved from Chicago and became the director of the Māori Mission. So at the end of 2010, he says to me, Mehana, I want to build a bridge between Māori and Pacifica in education. I want to see more Māori and Pacifica excel in academics. So what I plan on doing is changing this uni hostel into a student hostel for Auckland Grammar Boys. Can you help me? And I said, do I have to pay for anything? <laughs> and he said, we'll pay for your board, your kai, everything. Māori and kai, there's lots of stereotypes, but that's one I'll accept. So thank you for my chocolate. And so he said to me, yep, um, everything will be paid for. Just come and mentor these boys. And so the following year, we welcomed 17 Māori and Pacifica boys for the InZone project in 2011 to go to Auckland Grammar. That's before I met Christ. Fast forward to 2012. 
the role of end zone boys increased from 17 to 49. Now we can't all fit, like fit four bunk beds in one small room anymore. So Terence, I walk into his office and he's stressing out. And I said to him, bro, what's the matter? And he said, I've got 49 enrollments and I've only got like seven rooms. I need a new hostel. I need a million dollars for the refurbishment of that hostel and I don't know where I need to go. So he gets on his knees and he starts praying and he gets up and he, asks, he says to me, do you think we're going to get a new hostel and do you think we're going to get $1 million in about a month? And I'm not Christian, so I thought he was just being stupid. I said, absolutely not. That is stupid. And he said, well, I believe God's going to provide. Come and see me. Come and see me tomorrow. So I walked out laughing and I went back into his office the following day, knocked on the door. I said, Terrence, with a smirk on my face, I said, so where's your million dollars? Terrence Wallace grabs his computer screen. He turns it around and I see a statement, his ASB statement for the Inzone Education Foundation. And that morning, someone, an anonymous donor, gave $1 million that morning. Oh, I thought I was so stupid. <laughs> and uh, I remember standing there looking at the ASB statement, and that's the first time I've seen so many zeros next to a one. And I didn't get down on my knees. I have to be really honest. I didn't get down on my knees and say, Lord, you are real. But if there's one thing that taught me in that time was this. I knew he was real to Terence. So if I knew he was real to Terence, I knew he would speak to me. And so I prayed my first prayer. And it was simple as, all I said was, God, obviously you're real. Just show me you're real. <laughs> Amen. So my day at uni started, and when I was looking through my Facebook that morning, I saw a picture of Tim Tebow. Does everyone know Tim Tebow? Right, so a little backstory about Tim Tebow. He's a famous football, American football player, and he's in a relationship with God. So every time he's got a camera on his face, he always starts with, praise God, thank him for all that I've been able to see in this place. And so I see a picture of him. I talk to a few of my friends, and I ask them, what's the story about Tim Tebow? And they told me the same thing. He's this beautiful Christian man. And so I went to uni that day on the 316 bus. I came home on the 316 bus, and I was uh, facilitating a study session with our 49 boys, okay? And there's one particular boy who keeps asking me for help with his maths. I keep saying to him, I'm not a math teacher, I'm a te reo Māori teacher. Stop asking me for help. And his name is Hone. Hone means John. I get into my room, it's about 9.30, and I'm still really upset. God has not spoken to me like he spoke to Terence. So I pray again. God, if you're real, show me. And so as I'm going through my Facebook before I sleep, I see a picture of Tim Tebow again. However, Tim Tebow has got a scripture on his face. 
Guess what the scripture was? Hone 3.16. Hone 3.16. John 3.16. And so that night, I acknowledged, well, God, you are real. Because it was too personal to deny. And so I got down on my knees and again, I prayed a really simple prayer and I said, God, you are real. I give my life over to you. This is you. This is me. I want a relationship with you. Forgive me for my sins. I'm ready to do this. And that was in 2012 and that was the beginning of my walk with Christ. As I was looking through um, the significance of uh, that scripture, I found out that in 2010, Tim Tebow uh, wore that scripture on his face. So in 2010, he wore it in a national football final. And I found out that 94 million people Google searched John 3.16 after that game. Fast forward to 2012, the same year that I gave my heart to the Lord, I found out that when he had finished the game, I think it was the Pittsburgh Steelers they just finished playing, and one of the public relations guys walked up to Tim Tebow and he said to Tim, Tim, do you know the significance of this game? Have you seen any of the, the statistics of the game? And Tim said, no. What, what happened? And this is what he said. He said, uh, Tim, three years ago, you wrote John 3.16 on your face. But in this game, you threw 316 yards. Your yards per completion were 31.6. Your yards were per rush were 3.16. And John 3.16 is the number one trending thing on every single platform. <laughs> that he gave his only son, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish, shall not perish, but have eternal life. I signed up for that. I signed up for that. And so that week I decided to get baptized. And I had a really lovely man, the pastor of Greenland Christian Center, walk into my room. And he ended up being one of my spiritual fathers. And he said to me, Nehana, as you get into the baptism pool, you need to know that this week there was going to be immense spiritual attack. So here's something I can give to you. He gave me this laminated card with the prayer for the spiritual armor of God. And he gave it over to me and he said, boy, you pray that every morning, every night. And I'm going to be texting you and calling you. Okay? Okay. So that's exactly what I did. During the week, I spoke to one of my Christian mates, Māori mates. He's from Ngāpuhi. His name is Mark Tahere. And he was one of the hostel managers of the hostel that I moved into in Mount Eden. And I said to him, bro, I, I, I want a relationship with God, right? Let's get real. I want a relationship with God. But I fear that it's at the expense of letting go of my Māori tanga. Because I don't want to be a Pākehā. At least that's what I thought Christianity was. You had to clothe someone else's culture in order to be free. And my, my mate Mark turned to me and he just said, really simply, he said, bro, you're not going to lose who you are. 
you're going to find out who you are. You're going to find out who you are. And so jump to Sunday morning when I'm in the baptism pool. I can see a sea of people praying, crying, singing. And as I've got my spiritual father, John, standing next to me, he dunks me in the water, pulls me back up. I'm this new creation again. And now he starts to pray over me. So he's got his hand over my head. And as I'm standing there, crying and shaking, for the first time I hear the audible voice of God. And it was a really simple sentence. And all it was, was, Nehana, I wonderfully and fearfully made you. Māori. I wonderfully and fearfully made you Māori. And so I have this overwhelming, like as if it's a water, a bucket full of water pouring over me as God's grace and God's Holy Spirit pouring over me saying, this is your identity in Christ, but I'm not letting go of your identity as a Māori. That is not how I created you. And that, that really encouraged me because so often in Christian contexts, I often hear, there's only one culture, Jesus culture. But where that really ostracizes many of those who are cultural beings in this world is that we should probably let go of being African, Tongan, Samoan, in order to be part of Jesus' culture. But when we look back at Jesus, he was actually an enculturated being. He was a Jew. And God spoke to him, not in spite of culture. He moved through culture. And this is God affirming his words to me, saying, I made you Amari Nehana, find out what that looks like. And so someone gave me this really helpful book the following week, and it's called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. How many of you have read that? Good. Add that to the list. Man, that's a, that was a good book. Uh, I think it was about chapter 22. And that chapter was about how to identify your purpose. Okay, so... The basics of Christianity is that you're here to worship God. Yes. However, in each and every one of you, there are strengths and talents in order to be used to worship God. And so at that time, I had set myself up in finance to work in private equity. <laughs> and I figured that while I was working in private equity, it sucked working behind a desk. So I was done with private equity. I did not want a nine-to-five job. I was done, done, done. And so while I was reading chapter 22, what I noticed that Rick was writing down, he said, if you're struggling to identify what your purpose is, it's wrapped up in what you're passionate about. So write down the three things that you're passionate about. And I said, okay, I can do that. I can do that, good. And so I grabbed out a piece of paper. I grabbed a black pen. And I wrote down the three things that I was passionate about in that season. The first one was kapahaka. The second one was tutoring. And the third one was te reo Māori. That was in 2012, the end of 2012. And so out of looking at these passions, I sense God saying, if these are the things you're passionate about, pursue something that brings those passions out. So I became a secondary school teacher. And I did the one-year program at Auckland Uni. Now, just to disclose this information, this important information, I cannot speak te reo Māori. 
I could not speak to Reo Māori back in 2012, okay? I can understand bits and pieces. So when I went to go and sign up at the program at Auckland Uni, I had to pick my two subjects, all right? Guess what I picked? Business studies and not PE. <laughs> business studies and te reo Māori. I got in with business studies because I had a degree in it. However, I had to do an interview with the lecturer, Rachel Tufangai, to figure out whether my reel was up to scratch. So I walked into her office. Look, I know nothing in te reo Māori. And she says, oh, you know, kia ora nei hana, kia ora, kei te pui, yeah, 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 good, good, kawai. And she goes, have a seat. So I sat down. And she starts to speak to me in te reo Pākehā. She's speaking to me in English. And I'm like, oh, sweet ass, to get into a Māori program, I can speak English all day. And so she just kept talking to me in English, and then she stopped the interview and she said, kapai, nei hana, ka whakawhiti ki te reo Māori. We're going to transition into te reo Māori. We're going to speak for three minutes and I just want to figure out how much you know. I said, kāpai. <laughs> <laughs> and so she, she starts the interview in te reo Māori by saying this. She says, Neihana, kei te pēhia te huareri tēnei rā. Which means, how's the weather looking today? And I responded by saying, which means, I'm all good. <laughs> and so we peaked. <laughs> I gave every single Māori word I knew. You know, whakapapa, Māori, te reo, everything. But after I said, I wasn't kei te pai. The interview slowly went down and down and down until my lecturer said to me, she said, Nehana, it's obvious that your real Māori isn't up to scratch. And no pressure, but you'll be teaching the children of Scotty Morrison and Stacey Morrison one day. You'll be teaching the children of famous TV stars one day. And let's be honest, some of them will be better than you. So she said, I'm going to give you two things to do. The first thing that you're going to do, you can either sign up to Te Wānango o Aotearoa and do a level one course in Te Arareo Māori. That's one option. Or the second option is you need to ring up your old school, Hatopoda College. You need to speak to your deputy principal to get her to write me an email stating that you will work hard in your own time to bring your real Māori up to scratch. Otherwise, I'm not going to accept you into the program. And so I walked out of the office and I felt inexperienced. I felt dumb. I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. But then God's words came back again. Nehana, I wonderfully and fearfully made you Māori. So I stuck with it. And I stayed in the program. I stayed in the program. I was moved out to a mainstream school, a high school out in West Auckland, Castle Boys. And I was out there for about eight weeks for eight weeks for practicum. And what those kids didn't know is that while they might have been impressed with the Māori that I taught them, 
I wish they were impressed at the fact that late midnight, while lesson planning, I was teaching myself to do Māori. And so as I was learning to do Māori that way in my own time, I was on YouTube, I was watching a popular program called the uh, Waka Huia. Man, Waka Huia records lots of Māori speakers. And so what I tried to do, I tried to mix language learning with the specifics of language, so present tense, past tense, syntax, all of those rules. And then at the same time, I needed to learn how to sound Māori. And the only way I could do that is by copying other Māori. And so I watched on, on uh, YouTube and Māori interviews to pick up the nuances of te reo Māori. And that way, I learned quite quickly. And secondly, the pressure that was around the profession to, well, if you're a Māori teacher, you better know te reo Māori. <laughs> and so that's what I did for about a good eight weeks. And I was doing fine. However, my lecturer... Rachel Tufangai gave me another hospital pass. She said to me, Kapai, Kelston Boys is done. I want to chuck you in the deep end. I want to send you to a Māori immersion school. I said, what? She said, I want to send you to a Māori immersion school. And I said, do teach business studies? <laughs> <laughs> and she said to me, <clears throat> there's a well-known komatua at the school. And to bring your reo up even quicker... I need you to sit at his feet. While teaching te reo Māori, but I need you to listen to him. And I said, okay, if you think that's the best option, let's do that. So on my pōwhiri day, I end up at Te Kuro Māori o Ngā Tapuwai. Ngā Tapuwai is a Māori immersion area school in Māngere. And I'm welcomed on by these hardcore Māori kids. And they're all speaking beautiful Māori. And this old komatua, this old 80-year-old man, he gets up to his feet and he starts to mihi to me. He says to me, Neihana, no mai haere mai, ki tō tātou whare, ki a ngā tapu ai, ki māngere, ngā hau māngere. Haramai, haramai, haramai. His name was Tekepa Sterling. And Tekepa Sterling is well known in many Māori circles because not only is he very clever, He's got a very sharp tongue. Very sharp tongue. Um, he's one of the old school Māori speakers that still lives today. If you say something wrong on the marae, he will stand up and say, Enoho. He would sit people down. And so I was just freaking out on my first day whether he was going to sit me down or not. But that year, Ngātapuwai paired me up with him every week just to sit with him for two hours. And we went through the basics of te reo Māori, but in a native way. So with te reo Māori, you have two kind of ways of learning. You have native kōrero Māori, and then you have wharewānanga kōrero Māori. Native is really old school from the bush. You're brought up speaking te reo Māori, but then the other way, like many Māori speakers, you learn in university. You learn in institutions. And so everything he would say, I would pick up. And I just sat there for about a year, listening to him. Whakatauki, proverbs, storytelling, um, tauparapara, whaikorero, the art of Māori oratory, how Māori tell stories in a Māori way, the importance of genealogy. While I was going through this te ao Māori lens, I was learning more about God. 
especially around whakapapa, the power of using genealogy to connect. You know, the power of genealogy, the power to be able to connect, it makes people feel special. And this was something he naturally did, and I just picked it up. And so at the end of the year, the school had asked me to be a kayako there, to be a teacher. And I stayed there and became a teacher of Te Reo Māori and Business Studies for four years, and I eventually got to fluency. Yeah. Um, and it was, oh, I loved my time at Ngātapuai because where a lot of my kōrero came from was during interval and lunchtime. And because it was an area school, I would stand in the, the courtyard having to supervise during interval all of the year ones and twos. And you know, children's, they don't, children, they don't care what you think. And if you're wrong, they'll just call it out of you. And so picture this, everyone's speaking Māori. I ended up picking up a basketball and I threw it. And one kid said to me, Matua, tikina mai te pauro, māku e fiu. Which means, um, Matua, can you grab the ball so I can chuck it? Grab it for me, please. And so there was these basic uh, principles and basic sentences that young year one and twos were teaching me. And straight up, I was humble enough to just sit there and be like, yeah, I don't know as much as you, but I'll just listen. And so I picked up real that way. Um, while learning at night, and eventually I picked up fluency and really the knack for te reo Māori. And so when we come back to when I was in the baptism pool where God is like, Nehana, I wonderfully and fearfully made you Māori. Learning the language wasn't only a doorway into culture. Learning language was a place of belonging in a culture. And it's so difficult to engage in a culture if you don't know the language. As we watched on the game last night between Tonga and the All Blacks, think of this. If the All Blacks removed the words of the haka kamate, what would they do? It'd just be a dance. If Tonga grabbed the words and they removed them, what would it look like? It'd just be a dance. And so as I became more and more ingrained into Te Reo Māori, it wasn't until I dreamt into Te Reo Māori for the first time that things started to really clock over. One night when I had a, a dream, everything was in Te Reo Māori, I saw God and God was speaking in Te Reo Māori. And I thought, man, I know some great Māori speakers. I didn't know you were a Māori speaker. <laughs> and so dreaming in Te Reo Māori was a real sign that this stuff was really cementing in my brain. And so for four years, I ended up at their school, and I went to the complete opposite last year. I went to Auckland Grammar. <laughs> so from Māori immersion to complete Pākehā immersion, just to figure out what it looked like to teach Te Reo Māori. Um, however, during that year, I was getting phone calls and conversations by Greg, Greg Fleming at Parenting Place, sharing with me a vision of a new trust that he was about to form. And this trust that he wanted to form was Oati. And he said to me, Nehana, there's something that I'm, I'm doing at the moment, something that I feel called to do, to allow for Māori and Pākehā to be able to reconcile relationships starting at organisational levels. 
And he said, I know you know te reo Māori. You've been in Māori context. You love the Lord, obviously. Would you consider doing this? And I said, well, if, if this is something God wants me to do, I'll be in it. And so about a month later, I felt peace on this decision, and I ended up moving to Oati at the beginning of the year. And so as Calvin was saying before, we do work alongside organizations, and we help them to understand more of te ao Māori, the Māori world. And I remember four months ago when I was in Wellington, someone had asked me why I wanted to be doing this work. I mean, iwi, I'd happily work for my own iwi, I'd happily work for my own hapu, but someone was so interested, why would you want to work for a Pākehā organisation when you know you could be earning way more for someone else? And I shared with them a story about one of the CEOs of an organisation we work with at the beginning of the year. I sat down to have coffee with one of the CEOs for a, um, a small trust out west. And she began that meeting by asking me, Nehana, what's your faith story? And I said, how did you know I had a faith story? And she said, well, listening to all of you Oatiku, you don't need to be you know, very explicit about your Christian faith. You can just tell. And I said, oh, okay. I gave her what I just said before. And um, she said that she attended a hui, a massive meeting in America. And in the room were a range of native leaders. And so as she's standing in the room, there's this one American guy who stands in the middle. And he says, a prophetic word I want to give to the people in this room is this. There is the biggest eagle that is flying in the sky at the moment. The biggest eagle this world has ever, said, uh, ever seen. And this eagle is looking for a place to live. Wherever that eagle is about to land is where reconciliation is going to begin. The country. And you know, there's lots of Americans in the room and heaps of them are saying, well, it's obviously here because we're the land of the eagle. Fast forward, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm watching the 6 o'clock news. And my lecturer from Laidlaw, Brad Harmy, pops up on TV. And I look at him, and I'm like, what are you doing on TV? And he shares with me an exhibition that he's running at Te Papa. The exhibition that he's running at Te Papa is an exhibition about the native birds, the extinct native birds of Aotearoa. And so he gives pictures of these different birds. And he says, I quote, one of the biggest eagles that this world has ever seen before belong in Aotearoa. And the name of the eagle is the Hokioi, the Haast eagle. Oh, don't, don't bring it up, don't bring it up. Oh, yeah, that's one, yeah, that's one. Oh, yeah. So that's a picture of the Haast eagle. And so I'm sitting in my seat, really surprised that we're, what God is trying to communicate here. And as I'm speaking to that client in Wellington, he says, he turns to me and says, have you seen the mirror outside? 
And I said, what mural? And he said, well, we got a mural of one of the biggest eagles that this world has ever seen before, but it's not called a hokioi. It's called te pouakai. And I said, man, is this some kind of sick joke? And he goes, come out, come outside with me. So we're in the city of Wellington, right? He walks outside and he said, is that the bird you were talking about? Which is this picture we're going to come up. He says to me, is that the, is that the eagle you were talking about? And I said, yeah, but it's not called the Pouakai. The Hokioi is the biggest eagle. And he said, Nehana. It's got two names. It's called the Hokioi and the Pouakai. <laughs> I definitely enjoy the mahi. However, in the spiritual realm, this is the season for it. So not only do I intellectually feel challenged, spiritually I feel compelled to do this mahi. And that's one of the reasons why. And the symbolic meaning of the hokioi is the gift of prophecy. And so as God is revealing these images, these words, and these visions, what I sense he is trying to do, he is returning Aotearoa back to its prophetic state. Because as the gospel of Jesus Christ came, we knew God, but this place was a prophetic place. And it was shown through many of our Māori tūpuna that have gone on. So as I ask the band to come up, I want to ask you, what does it look like to sit in the midst of another culture to learn about what God looks like, what God smells like, what imagery God uses in another person's culture? I want to ask you, are you struggling with what is happening in the, at this time and needing to be reminded to be still in the midst of chaos. I also want to ask you, wairua tapu, are we listening to the wairua tapu, especially with what he's doing in Aotearoa? Ko neihana reihana tōku ingoa, e mihi atu nei ki a koutou katoa, te nā koutou, te nā koutou, te nā tātou katoa. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.